I wanted to talk tonight about training the mind. And the reason I, I came up with that is because I've been been reading a bunch lately and they, they seem to be talking about training the mind and I so I was reflecting on that and wanted to go what what do they actually mean when they say train the mind and and uh, what does that look like and um, you know when I uh, so that's what I kind of jumped into and I remember when I read my first my what I recall is my first Buddhist book a book by Pema Chodron many many years ago um, and start where you are and she talked about the mind trainings the I think they're the Logan trainings Tibetan warrior trainings and uh, that was my first uh, introduction to the idea of training in this way and then Thich Nhat Hanh when he talks about the precepts he calls them mindfulness trainings they are the, uh, you know, the training in, in not causing harm and, and those types of things. And the Buddha talked about training uh, quite often. And there's a phrase that's used after he has given a, a teaching where he says, this is how you should train. This is how you should train yourself. And oftentimes they talk about, the Buddha does a comparison when someone asks him a question of, of you know, what's wise or what's skillful. And he gives an example of what's unskillful or ask questions. Is this, what do you think about this? And they say, well, that's not beneficial. And, you know, and he has interchanges with monks or um, followers and the people he when he talks about people who are not doing it skillfully they talk about the common translation is uninstructed worldlings which i love but people who aren't trained people who aren't on this path and then then the people who are on the path who are following it and who are moving towards nibbana are or awakening enlightenment are instructed worldlings which means they've been training they are taking these teachings and so um, and the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the, the discourse on mindfulness, the establishment of mindfulness is seen or is talked about as the direct path to realization, meaning the direct path to awakening. And it's a mind training. It's training the mind to sit and training mind to be with the breath and to begin to open up to see all these things, the, the interaction with um, our experiences as pleasant or unpleasant and seeing the the moods and and the dhammas the hindrances and the factors of awakening and and the four noble truths and so really it's a it's a it's a logical training that builds on itself so um their training is talked about everywhere and um, you've heard me probably talk about training the mind or untraining, retraining, because we are so conditioned that, you know, we're all conditioned beings and we're conditioned to see things a certain way. We're conditioned to um, reflect or, or believe certain things. And so not all of them are quite, are skillful or beneficial. And so this is, this is a retraining of the mind. It almost sounds like a brainwashing, but it's maybe un, the unbrainwashing. What do they talk about when people get out of a cult? What do they do? Deprogramming. So it is kind of a deprogramming of this programming that we've 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 kind of absorbed without even paying attention to. 
So this is like a, a pay attention, training the mind to pay attention to see what's true, what's not true, what's beneficial, what's not beneficial. And when I was looking into this, I found that Tan Tanisra Bhikkhu, um, Tan Jeff, Ajahn Jeff, a monk near San Diego, actually wrote an essay called Strength Training for the Mind. And he talks about it like working out in the gym where you have to, you know, you have to build up this muscle. You have to train as if you're training in the gym. And it makes sense because oftentimes we talk about building up the mindfulness muscle. You can't just sit down and meditate once and go, I got it. It's well, you've probably saw that in your practice this evening. Did any of you just sit there and were like totally present for the entire time? No, I'm I'm hearing a lot of silence. I'm hearing a lot of silence, so I'm going to take that as a no. Um, yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing to do to stay present. So you're training the mind, and so I wanted to. Some of his points that he brought up were really good, and so I wanted to I wanted to just kind of bring those up, touch on some of those because they're I think they're really helpful and they're good to um, they're good to actually step back and and see what this means when we say these things what it means and how to go about training the mind and so he said first of all you actually have to understand what you're doing so basically understand suffering understand that that core teaching of the buddha of our craving is is the uh is the foundation of suffering that and seeing the you know the first noble truth and understanding that whether we have a, uh, a real embodied understanding of it or just an intellectual understanding of it, because this is an, it's a journey of, of studying, training and, and knowing something intellectually. And as you continue practicing and continue training, that journey from the mind to the heart happens. I like to talk about the mind to the heart, although in 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 Pali the heart mind is kind of considered the same thing. But what you're doing is you're you're developing a wise heart, a heart that maybe wasn't so smart or wasn't seeing clearly you're cultivating that wisdom through this practice. So understanding what you're doing, understanding that you're moving in a direction away from suffering, away from creating your own discomfort, your own stress, and 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 moving towards a way that's free from that, moving towards liberation. So that is what you need to understand, that that's what we're doing here. The Buddha said, we're going, he said, this is my paraphrase, you're either walking away from suffering or toward suffering. What And so to see clearly what you're doing. So that's the understanding of what this training is about. And then to start where you are, like the Pema Chodron book. Uh, I say that a lot. You can't start anywhere else but to see what causes you discomfort. Oftentimes we come to practice for a particular reason. Um, I, I don't know what mine was other than I was, I heard over the years that meditation is helpful and I had tried to meditate over the years and I kept coming back to it. I kept saying, okay, this is this, this I was drawn to it for some reason, but, um, a lot of people will come to practice because they have some discontent. A lot of people say they just want to bliss out and I, I have to break the news to them that, um, 
you might get to that place, but it's not where you're going to start. Um, there's a journey to take to get to a place of contentment and ease, to be at ease, even with the discomfort that's present in life, the pain that, that accompanies the human condition. So you have to start where you are. What's right here? What's what's causing you discomfort? For me, it was a, a really beginning to acknowledge a lot of things that I had stuffed down because I was at such a place that when I sat on the cushion formally um, for a while, this stuff started coming up and it's like, okay, time to look at this. And everybody comes for a different reason. So that's where I had to start. I had to start with that, that deep, deep pain that was, that I had, wasn't able to stuff down anymore. It was coming out, and this was a this was a healthy way to to make space for it. This um, the, through this meditation practice and 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 learning the compassion that needs to needs to be with those difficult emotions. Um, it's like when you're working out to to continue that analogy. It's like what what do you need when if you've ever had a trainer or sometimes you trainers say, well, what what what's most uh, what do you need to do? And it's like, like maybe build up some endurance or whatever. So that's you work on what's called being called for and recognize, which is really challenging sometimes that this is not a competitive practice. Oftentimes we can find ourselves in competition with with friends or other folks in the Sangha going, wow, they've gone on 17 retreats and I haven't gone on any. And it's like, you have to just follow your own path. You have to work with what makes sense for you. You can't do it any other way. And recognize that this is, this is the long haul. I mean, if you, if you believe the, the, the teachings around the Buddha, he had multiple lifetimes, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of lifetimes working on this stuff. So it's going to take a while. So let go of any competition around this. Um, the second is, uh, well, the next point is developing consistency. That's, you know, when people come to um, intro to meditation classes or are new to meditation, and you hear it again and again from teachers, um, consistency is so important. Even if you're just doing it for two minutes a day, you know, it's helpful to do it at the same time and it's helpful to do, just do it, just do it. That's really one of the most difficult things is to just do it. But that consistency, it builds, um, um, the, it builds a habit. It starts retraining the mind. It builds stability. It builds your discipline. Um, again, as I said, even if it's only a couple of minutes a day. And there's an, there's, um, there's an impact, whether you see it clearly or not. You know, oftentimes people will say when they start a meditation practice and they say they're doing it for three or four weeks or a month or a couple of months, and they, when they don't see any difference in their actual practice, the mind still goes all over the place. They still have monkey mind. Their their leg still falls asleep or whatever. But they now are different when they're in line at the supermarket or when they're driving or when they're interacting with their partner or when they're in a meeting at work. They're all of a sudden responding differently. So the uh, consistency may not be so apparent in the actual practice, but it may be apparent elsewhere. 
So to notice that, so that consistency does have a benefit. I mentioned the other night when I was talking about this, I realized that I have been doing the morning meditation group because I do a morning meditation 7 a.m., seven days a week. I've been doing it since March 18th. So I think, what is that, five months? That's like 21 weeks practically. Um, it's like, okay, here's where the fingers come in, April, May, June, July. Okay, four and a half months, which is, I know I've been sitting consistently for many, many, many years, but I don't know if I have sat consistently at the very same time for that long. It's, it's extraordinary, and it's really, I've, I've, I know the impact it's had on me, and I'm incredibly grateful for it, especially in this moment of time we're living in. I'm deeply grateful for that consistency and that discipline. It's been so beneficial for me. Um, so I can, I can speak to this and uh, speak to the stability it builds. And uh, um, yeah, so go for the consistency. Another important point, aim for balance. And um, this, is, this, is the t this is the path of the middle way where you don't favor one thing over the other. It's same thing with, um, it's like if you're working out in the gym and you only, you know, work the left arm. That's my right arm. You only work the right arm and you don't work the left arm. That's really unbalanced. Or you work your upper body and not your lower body or, or whatever. That's out of balance and it's not helpful. So to, um, when you bring your, uh, attention or when you train the mind, you, uh, you want to train in, in all the teachings. And by that, I mean, looking at the core teaching of the Eightfold Path, there are uh, three uh, sections to the Eightfold Path, three baskets. There's the wisdom basket, the um, uh, ethical behavior, and then the uh, concentration. So you want to really... Um, um, give your attention to all of those. And they all support each other. Wise view and wise intention are in the, um, um, uh, the wisdom basket. Um, so seeing clearly wise view, seeing the nature of the three characteristics that life is um, uh, unsatisfactory and that there is discomfort and that things are impermanent and then um, wise intention, setting your intention to move through the world. So making sure that that's in your uh, awareness and then um, ethical behavior, how you move through the world. And then the uh, uh, samadhi, the, the, the concentration, the effort to cultivate mindfulness and, and steadfastness and collectedness that they all support each other. So if you, if you only build, they talk about it as a, a you know, the, um, the three-legged stool. If you only have two legs, you're not going to sit, you're going to fall over. So to make sure you give attention, I mean, sometimes you focus on one um, more than the other when you're doing particular things, but you want to give attention to each of those. You don't want to go, ah, screw meditation. I'm just going to work on this or I can't be bothered with renunciation, that's nonsense or intention. Really um, absorb it or take it as a whole. It's incredibly important. Um, 
Tan Jeff talks about setting goals, and we're often told, don't set goals, but um, you're going to be doing this for your life. I'd leave, you know, that's, that's probably a good idea. I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. I can't see me not doing this in some way, shape, or form. So um, the goals you do are things like, um, I'm going to sit or I'm going to sit a retreat, or I'm going to do these things, but so that you, um, um, it helps us as human beings to get some sense of achievement, but also to keep you going on the path. So I'm going to sit for X amount of time, or I'm going to do a heart practice for six months, you know, so that you're cultivating various things and supporting yourself in this consistency. I mean, I, I do that. I think it's just human nature to do those kinds of things. So that's um, that's helpful. And to um, as you do that, um, you begin to as you continue with this consistency, as you um, move forward, as you continue to build this balance, then you begin to. Um, get some proper form and so making sure that you're doing this right when you do if anybody in here has ever worked out um or practiced anything not even just in a, in a an athletic working out kind of thing but studied anything like studied a musical instrument or any type of thing you have to make sure you're doing it correctly because we can develop some really bad habits and so to recognize when you're doing it um uh uh, correctly it's easy to get sloppy it's easy to get lazy and so it's important to pay attention to how you're doing it and it's not just um, thinking about stuff but really making an effort to drop from the intellectual to the experiential Connecting with the body in this, which is why I was giving a little bit of the instruction this evening to receive, because we're we have the tendency to go out and grasp, and really what you want to do is just receive the sensation. Sound is a beautiful one to practice this with, as you sit and and because the mind immediately creates oh that's a you hear a sound. And that's a car. And if you're a car person, what kind of car is that? Or is that a fire engine or a police car? Is that a this or a that? You know, the mind immediately goes out and starts creating things. The same with sight, the same with anything. So to let yourself experience things instead of reaching out, just come in. And what is that? That's where um, wisdom and discernment arises when you make space in the body when you're not because when you start leaning towards you start creating the story around it so the more you can be steady the more you have that that concentration that steadiness the more you are in proper form for this and I don't mean that you're sitting perfectly with your hands like this but really the experiential practice is, is incredibly important um, You want to pace yourself in this practice. Uh, like I said, you're going to be doing this for a while, um, and but there's no instant gratification. There's no, okay, I've been doing this for a month and a half. Where's the prizes? It, it's 
like I said earlier, when you may not see it in your actual sitting practice, but how do you move through the world? You know, this if you see this um, shifting in how you're holding things, um, continue with that. Continue with that. This is where wise effort comes in and seeing um, how you uh, how you practice. And um, again, a lot of these are tied in together. A lot of these things that I'm touching on these points. Um, know when you need to back off because some of us are strivers. We want to do more. If a little is good, a lot is better. Um, I don't know if anybody in here is like that. So notice when you're doing too much and let go or notice when, oh, you know what, I actually can do a little bit more. Uh, I think if you're really honest, you know when you're slacking off and you know when you can do more. I know I do. And sometimes I go, go screw it. I'm just going to knock this off now. But really make the effort. Pay attention and make the appropriate effort. Uh, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. My friend, a friend of mine uh, years ago was on retreat and the teacher on the retreat liked to do really long sits, like hours, two, three, four hours. And my friend um, was sitting with some pain, but he's like, I'm going to I'm going to do this bear down. This is, you know, you're supposed to sit with pain. Know the difference between your ankle hurts because you've been sitting on it for a while versus you're doing some serious harm because he screwed himself up. He really hurt himself and he's still dealing with it. Um, so really fine tune and pay attention. Know when to push through and know when to back off and take care of yourself. And I think the more mindfully, the more you develop this practice, the more you can intuit that, that experiential awareness arises. And you can say, oh, yeah, I need to back off. I need to back off. Um, uh, you can also vary your practice. When I teach, uh, I facilitate a year to live group every year. And I offer throughout the year all different types of meditation. There's the mindfulness practice, there's soft belly meditation, there's gratitude practice, there's forgiveness practice, there's the heart practices, there's the, the, the meditation on the body, which is in the Four, four Noble Truths. Yeah, no, excuse me, the Satipatthana, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. So there are a whole bunch of different meditations that you can utilize if you are really in a lot of, if you've been doing a lot of work and there's some really uh, painful experiences arising, bring some heart practice to it. Take care of yourself. Again, this, this experiential um, awareness will allow you to know, oh, I actually need to tend to my heart. I need to tend to myself. Maybe do some heart practice for a while. Some gratitude practice is helpful. Um, you know, maybe do a body scan if you're if you are not um, if you're not connecting with your physical experience. If it's not um, the experiential awareness is not developing. I did this a number of years ago. Someone said I was working with suggested I just do body scan. So I listened to a guided meditation for a while, a few months. 
this body scan over and over and I was able to really connect with the body in a way that I hadn't been able to before. So there's various practices that are available to us. So don't just stick with one, you know, do what makes sense. Um, but don't just like jump around um, in a practice period unless it, it's like a really painful thing and you need to tend to it with kindness. But, you know, set your intention like, all right, I'm, I think I need to do some some mindfulness or some um, body scan or some compassion or whatever. Try and try and hang out with that. Uh, set the intention when you start. But but know that there's various things available and you don't have to just stick with one. That's really again, that's that's a practice of balance. That's a practice of balance. Um, and no, it's not. You're not going to get perfect and be done. Take your up and downs and take your ups and downs and stride. I have been, as I said, I've been doing this for a while, and I still have monkey mind. There are still times where I'm like, blah, 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 blah. every once in a while, when I'm leading a guided meditation, my head is a hundred thousand miles away, and I'm like, no, Mary, come back. And then it's like, oh shit, when was the last time I said something, and did I say that already, or was I? you know, it's like, it's amazing. Or I can say an instruction and be having an argument with someone in my head. And so it's like, it happens. Just recognize that that's going to happen. But when you have the consistent practice, there is a, a steadiness that's, that's underlying. And there's a steadiness that takes you um, when you're off the cushion as well. Because you want to have a continuity of mindfulness. This is not just about being a really good meditator. It's about that continuity that you take with you when you walk, when you're not on the cushion. Because you're, you're not on the cushion way more than you are on the cushion. You're not formally practicing way, you know, you're, you're not in formal practice a lot more than you are in formal practice. So that continuity of mindfulness is so important. It is how you move through the world. It is connecting experientially, somatically. When you're talking to someone, experience how their words are landing. Notice that. It's really beneficial. What do they say when you're talking to someone, be in your body 80% of, of 80, allow yourself to be residing in your body 80% of the time. It's, it's a, it's very different type of thing. Like when you do dyads with somebody and all you do is listen, you receive. And that's a helpful way to connect with the emotions that arise around things. So, so be mindful when you take it, take your training off the cushion. That's what we're doing it for, for off the cushion. Um, watch what you ingest. You know, I talk about that a lot in the fifth precept. Thich Nhat Hans talks about way more than just in, in, imbibing in drugs or, or any intoxicants that lead to heedlessness. He talks about what you ingest, what do you read, what do you listen to, do you doom scroll, you know, when you go through social media. Because that's, that's not helpful. So um, really, really um, watch the habits of the mind and not just what you ingest from outside like social media or newspapers or TV or music or who you associate with, but watch the internal ingestion. What stories are you caught up with? You know, watch, watch what you, so when they say when you're working out and getting healthy, watch what you eat, but watch what you, watch what you um, take in 
mentally as well. Don't don't buy that narrative all the time. Question it. Is that really true? Is that true? So really pay attention to that. Um, pay attention to when you're wallowing. Pay attention to when you're not present. Be willing to let go. And um, just recognize that the, um, you know, the ultimate goal is freedom. The ultimate goal of this practice is liberation from that round of, of continuing to, you know, pick up stuff, crave stuff. You know, I want this. I don't want that. The story, we're stuck in the story. You're retraining your mind. You're breaking those habits. You're disentangling yourself. You're disentangling yourself. And stay focused. That's mindfulness, you know. That's mindfulness. Just stay focused. Um, that when I was I was listening to President Obama give the, his eulogy for John Lewis the other day, and he talked about John Lewis's perseverance in the face of adversity and difficulty. You know, the willingness to keep doing it in spite of, in spite of the hindrances, in spite of anything. It's so important to make that commitment to, to yourself to say, you know what, this is important, and to commit to it. And it's a skill. Mindfulness is a skill. It's, a, it's, it's developing this discernment, this wisdom, this seeing clearly of how to not get tangled up in the thinking mind, not to become entranced by the world, by the mind, but to see clearly the, the false promise of, of what's out there. And to be at ease and to be content. Um, there's a there's a, a, a one of the suttas, and it talks about the Buddha uh, giving an instruction to his son Rahula, and he says, um, "When you see you've acted, spoken, or thought in a skillful way, conducive to happiness." while causing no harm to yourself or others, take joy in that fact and keep on training. When you see you are not causing harm to yourself or others, take joy in that and keep on training. Keep doing what you did to get to that place. So that you, in the future, don't cause harm to yourself or others through through um, thought, word, or deed. That you continue to move in a skillful way. This this practice of skillfulness of mindfulness. That's freedom right there. That's absolute freedom right there. So that's all I got. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.